not everything, not every technology product is a company. And I see technology increasingly more like, like uh, a lot of other art forms like music or, you know, art and painting, whatever. Uh, you know, when kids today build a mobile app or Chrome extension or a website, it's, it's in many ways a creative expression. It's them tinkering and playing and learning and then sharing it with the world. The same as someone who's, you know, learning to play the guitars or drum or whatnot. And yet we don't really criticize the kid playing the, the drums or learning to play the guitar. Like his song might be awful, but we don't really criticize him because we're like, hey, he's he's learning. Um, so Teal Deer is I, I think we should embrace more creation. I think we should be less judgmental about people's products and the things they're building. Because at the end of the day, what they're doing is learning and playing with new ideas. And, you know, that same kid that's learning might also then become the next Zuckerberg or whoever. Um, and build something that actually is a company and actually is super meaningful. This is Love Your Work, and I'm David Cadavy. I'm here to help you find the clues that will lead you to your calling. This week's guest built a thriving community around something he loves. Ryan Hoover loves software products. He wanted to share new software products with other people who love software products. So he started a little email list. There were a few dozen people on the list. They were submitting products to the email list. So Ryan got to learn about new products every day. It was great. But the email list grew rapidly. Once it got to a few hundred subscribers, Ryan decided it was time to build a site. Three years later, Ryan sold his site, Product Hunt, for about... $20 million. Now, I don't spend very much time in Silicon Valley these days, but I've at least heard that Ryan Hoover is kind of the golden child of the Valley right now. He's perfectly executed building Product Hunt and most importantly, building the community that drives Product Hunt. And I think you'll notice in this conversation, I personally actually got kind of frustrated talking to Ryan because he seems to have always made the right decisions. And I I think some people are able to do that but I'm not personally one of them. And I think it's actually kind of hard to learn from people who do things right all the time, which is why I'm always digging for the ways that my guests have changed over the years and where they went wrong along the way. And I don't know, maybe I'm wrong, but I feel you can learn a lot more from hearing about how somebody changed than about how they executed everything right. And I just had a hard time finding the stumbling blocks that uh, Ryan Hoover met along the way, the short journey of building and selling Product Hunt. In any case, Ryan's story is a really great example about how you can build something explosive by starting with something that you're curious about and then building a genuine community around that thing. Now, before I get to Ryan, I want to note that many of you supported Love Your Work on Product Hunt. You were upvoting the episodes and submitting them. But since Ryan and I had this conversation, Product Hunt has officially recently shut down their entire podcast section, which left a really big gap in podcast discovery and kind of had me worried, but not for too long because last week uh, on Product Hunt, actually, Leah Culver launched a social podcast listening app called Breaker. Check it out. You can find it in the Google Play Store or the uh, iOS App Store by searching for Breaker Podcast. Um, It's very cool. You can see what your friends are listening to and what they're liking. And if you happen to be listening to this on Breaker, please be sure to subscribe. And if you like this conversation, tap that little heart icon that's on there. All right, here is Ryan Hoover.
Don't forget, I'm giving out a $20 Amazon gift card every week until April 7th. The sooner you go to cadavy.net slash survey, the greater your chances of winning. Go to cadavy.net slash survey to take the short survey and be entered to win a gift card. Uh, let's start off uh, talking about AngelList. You just recently joined AngelList. What was uh, the impetus behind that? So AngelList, I've known Naval now for a while. Naval was actually a, a seed investor in Product Hunt. And this was maybe four or five months after it started. And uh, he was is one of the early supporters and, of course, been supporting us ever since. And, you know, this was then middle to late last year. We started having a conversation about kind of next steps and what we were working on. And and then fast forward, it just became a real natural fit for us to join AngelList and, and together really build a, a platform to help startups. Like they're, they're so focused on helping companies raise money, helping companies find and recruit great talent. And we've historically been very focused on product discovery. How do we help people find users and help consumers find awesome products? So AngelList, uh, for those who aren't familiar, they they kind of do crowd um, fundraising for startups is one of the, the things that they do. And so they can get funding, they can get talent because it's, it's, it's kind of like a LinkedIn in a way um, that you can browse around for, for people. And then they'll also have this other part product hunt where they can actually help market the products. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's in, there's some irony too in the, in all of this is that product hunt started off as an email list. AngelList to some extent, also started off as an email list. <laughs> the way that they they started AngelList, um, you know, they went through some iterations. But one of the the first things that worked was an email list among investors, and they were essentially forwarding really hot startups, really hot deals to highly qualified investors, and and that was what got some traction in the early days. So there's some some in, interesting similarities between both product and AngelList in that sense, and um, and together we're we're really focus on these three big problems like fundraising, how do you raise money, how do you recruit a team, and how do you get users? Mm-hmm. And let's do talk about the way that Product Hunt started. So it started as an email list. You're just sending products to a few people. How many people was it? Well, in the beginning, it, it was uh, it was essentially still, from the very beginning, a community of, of people, and granted very small, uh, but it was, you know, a community of people sharing products they found. So it wasn't just me, but it was in the very start, I think about 20 or 30 people who were sharing apps, products, sites that they found that they thought were interesting. And that then created this community curated email digest, which uh, in the beginning, it was about 200, 300 people subscribed in the first maybe week or so. So not a ton, but enough to start getting some feedback. And from there, it continually grew more and more until we... Uh, realize that email is great, but it's not not a way to interact and build a community long term. So, so how, how technically was that set up? You were sending MailChimp emails. You were receiving the recommendations. Just people would send you via email. Actually, it was it was even easier. Um, there's this product, this service called Linky Dink. Ridiculous name, uh, really cool idea. It was uh, made by Makeshift, this uh, sort of London based incubator of ideas of sorts. And so they built this service called Linky Dink, which allows anyone to create a uh, basically crowdsource email list where you can invite people and say, hey, Bob, Sally, Joe, I want you to become you know, part of this email digest. All you have to do is send a link and optionally like a short piece of text or sentence about the link that you sent. 
And then it would automatically generate this email digest of all the links submitted by all the people that were approved. So I didn't have to actually even piece this thing together. All I had to do was, you know, invite these initial people in the community, say, hey, we'd love you to share these products with this, this, this audience of subscribers. And then every, I think at that time it was like 5 p.m. every weekday, they would send the email out. So, so very people, simple. People would submit the links. Then you, would you actually go and approve all of them? How, how did that work? I did. Yeah, I actually technically didn't have any control over approving it the way their their system was set up. So it would blast out whatever was submitted by those people. Now, these weren't just anyone on the internet. They were uh, a lot of friends, uh, people who were in technology, some of them investors, um, some reporters, people who were in technology and really liked to explore and play with new products. And uh, and that was an important part of, of making it useful because it wasn't just you know, any, anybody in the world just submitting anything they found. Right. It was a core group of people who were all product enthusiasts. And then, so how big did the email list get before you actually made it into a site? So we, we ended up starting to work on the site only about three, I want to say three weeks after the email, uh, LinkedIn email started. And so I think we got it to only, only maybe 400 subscribers. So not a lot. We, we really weren't marketing it heavily. It was other than just like me tweeting it out and writing a few things online. Uh, it was all organic growth. So while it was small, it was enough validation to realize, okay, there are people that are subscribing to this and I'm getting also emails, uh, you know, unexpected emails from people saying, I enjoy this email list. I like people that take the time to write about how they like an email list is some, some level of validation. So, uh, you know, once I saw that, I realized, okay, this would be super cool if we can make this more interactive, if we could turn this into a site where people can not only post products they find, but then have a better uh, system for curation, have a way to, to have comments and discussion. Um, and then soon we, we re- realized this opportunity in creating this dialogue between the makers of the products and the community themselves as well. I find it kind of interesting that that you ended up making a site when you had, quote unquote, only you know, 400 subscribers Uh, and it had been going on for a few weeks at that time. And then you decided to go ahead and, and make a site. Like how, how was that decision made? How did you decide that it was actually, you had reached the point where it was worth that? Yeah, well, it was part of me from the beginning, it was an experiment. So it wasn't that I was jumping off a bridge and investing a whole lot of, uh, you know, money or, or time. It was, it was all just a side project. So to take the next step of taking this email list and turning it into a site was a relatively small step. Um, and the way that it happened actually is I'm, I'm not an engineer. And so I was emailing a few friends and one of them uh, was my, my friend, Nathan, Nathan Bashaw. And I emailed him and said, Hey, uh, you know, this project email, it's, it seems to be working. People seem to like it, but I want to turn it into a, a website, a place where people can you know, converse and post and so on. And, uh, and I asked him, Hey, should I learn Ruby on rails? Like, should I try and use telescope? Like what should I use to build this was my question. And he responded back and said, Hey Ryan, um, really cool idea. Um, I have some time over Thanksgiving. Do you want to work on it together? And so he's, uh, I mean, Nathan's super talented. He's a designer, product manager, engineer. He's like one of those, one of those guys that does everything. And, um, together we worked on that first version. And so, didn't cost any money, just cost our time. But 
we were working on it as like a, a passion project ultimately. And it was just something fun for us to build. And I think that one of the things about product hunt that seems to me from the outside that has made it um, so successful is that it feels like you curate the community. You put a lot of attention into the community. I mean, you're not going to see a bunch of trolls on there or anything. You know, it's not like like you might find on other sites. Um, how much do you think about that? Yeah, it was... I mean, from day one, that was an important part of our thinking. And it was uh, manifested in the way that we seeded the community in, in terms of we, we knew that if we opened this up to the entire world from day one, the risk is that we would have a lot of marketers and or trolls or people coming in that might ruin the experience. And uh, when I say marketers, and of course, one of the biggest challenges for any company is to get attention and to get users. And so once you hit a certain tipping point of popularity, you're going to see people try to exploit that in as many ways as possible. So in the beginning, we had, of course, just myself as essentially the community manager, and I have to sleep. So, you know, there's some numbers of hours in the day that it's completely unmanned. <laughs> um, and so we thought, okay, let's just limit this through invites. So allow the community to invite other people so that we don't have, you know, tons of people flooding the system. Uh, with products to the point where it becomes unusable for everyone. Um, so that was part of the initial kind of decision. But then we instrumented a few other product design decisions to make this, uh, in, in my opinion, like a healthy uh, community. One of them was uh, initially just Twitter. Twitter was the way that we authenticated people. We didn't allow just email signups. We did not allow uh, anonymous accounts. We uh, still today don't allow companies to sign up under their brand name and, and contribute. And the reason for that is we want product tends to be a place where you see the person, you see the face and you see the name of the person you're talking to so that you have that real kind of direct interaction, that empathy and, um, and having identity and using that is, is, is one way to curb, um, potential trolls or potential hate. Um, doesn't mean that every platform should use identity. I think pseudonyms and, and what Reddit has works really well for them, but it does introduce some challenges because it's a lot easier to hate on someone when, you're hiding behind a, you know, a fake name, for example. Um, and did you feel any uh, temptation during these early days to, to make any decisions that could have potentially damaged the community? It seems like there's just a lot of things that you, you might feel pressure to do, but that could do irreparable harm to, to the community as you're trying to grow it. How did you navigate that? Yeah, well, let's see. There's, there's always the the temptation to to open up product hunt for everyone in the sense that everyone can post and uh, you know tomorrow we could do that very easily and we could see maybe ten times the number of products on the homepage and while that is attractive from like an engagement perspective you could see more engagement and growth and, and activity the challenge is how do we do that in a way where it's still high quality or where re high quality is not the right word where it's still manageable. Like at the end of the day, what, what our goal is, is to surface great products to people. And when you have a thousand products on a homepage, you're going to lose some of the products you, you personally might think are really great because it's 500 posts down. It's from the 500th place. So, you know, it's always a challenge with any kind of set is how do you manage volume and quality as, as community scale ultimately. And did you have any 
like prior experience building communities before this, no matter how small? Yeah. Yeah. I, so my professional background is in product management. And so professionally I did not. However, uh, on the side I would do various things that almost like retroactively looking back were initial experiences in building community. One of them was um, a side project that also Nathan and I worked on called Startup Edition. And this was a really simple idea. We actually just grabbed coffee at the Grove uh, when we first met. And I think it was shortly after that, we're like, we both liked writing and blogging. And we realized this opportunity where there's certain people who have a hard time thinking of things to write about and getting motivated to write. And so we assembled sort of this, this crew of uh, mostly like founders and CEOs and people that were writing and said, hey, do you want to be a part of Startup Edition? The way it works is we email out a prompt. could be like how I built my team, how I raised capital, um, what was the first job that I started, like kind of startup-centric topics. And then everyone, uh, which at the time it grew up to maybe 40 or 50 people, they would all, um, some of them would just write about that topic, like blog about that topic. They'd put it on their own blog or Medium or whatnot. And then all we would do is assemble all of those blog posts and then email it out weekly so that subscribers could see different opinions of different founders and people in tech uh, and how they approach a certain problem or stories about a particular topic. Um, and so that was, in, in some sense, uh, an experience in, in community building uh, in the way that we put these people together, uh, built them a platform to get their blog posts out there. And then on the side, we do kind of like brunches where, you know, it'd be like eight to 10 of us uh, just brunching <laughs> together and, and kind of doing these in-person community building uh, initiatives. So it was a small group of people who were doing the writing, but anybody could subscribe. Correct. That's right. Okay. I mean, it sounds like there's something to be said, I think, in this day, uh, in this day where there's a lot of sites everybody can, can sign up for. There's something to be said for exclusivity, um, especially early on when you're trying to figure out the, the culture of your community. I know like I did a, a thing several years ago where I, I, it was like a D, it was a brunch club. I called it DIY MBA and there were like six of us and there were, there, you know, you can only have brunch with so many people. And we would invite one entrepreneur from Chicago. So we had brunch with uh, Andrew Mason or Sam Altman was, was in the area at the time. And it was like, you were in the group or you were not in the group. It wasn't, it wasn't a meetup group where everybody RCPs maybe, and then they show up and, you know, it was focused more on, on intimacy. I think there's something to be said for that. Is that, is, is that kind of what you're, you're, you were finding when you were starting Product Hunt or when you were doing these smaller communities? Yeah, there, there is something about, um, especially in the early days, if you can assemble people that have a, some sort of common bond, and that common bond could be, depending on what you're building, could even be just location, people in Chicago. It could be people who are into startups and technology could be um, a group of people who all, all are loosely connected. Like the beginning, the very early days of product and like the first 50 people maybe were all loosely connected. A lot of them knew each other or knew of each other because they were all kind of in the tech scene. And so that made it easier to make it useful for at least that sub, subset of people and made it also a, a, a welcoming place because it's like, oh, like 
these people that I respect and know, they're all using it. Maybe I should contribute and start using it too. And the way that we grew out the, the very beginning of the audience was once, once we sort of tapped our network of people that we knew were into technology, then I would email individually, personally email people who were engaged and said, hey, do you know two more people that you think would like Product Hunt that want to contribute and be part of it? And so that then, just like uh, as you think about like how many degrees of separation you are from people, that started then spidering, spidering out these degrees of separation to other people who are somewhat connected and like-minded to some extent. And um, you know that was just one way to kind of build uh, a welcoming community, at least for a small subset of the audience to begin with. It sounds like there was a lot of manual uh, labor involved. Yes, a lot. Um, a lot of... A lot of emails, a lot of tweeting. Um, it was something that I enjoyed doing, and uh, and in the early days, it's sometimes the best way to get things started, especially with the community, because people want to, they want some sort of like they see, they really recognize it when it's a human behind an email or a human behind, you know, the computer versus like these automated drip campaign emails where it's, hey, I'm the founder. Um, and there's like a subtle like unsubscribe link. It's like, I know you're you're not really you don't really you aren't really acknowledging me. Um, Subject line: and, Quick question. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, there's, I have nothing against using those tactics at all, uh, and I, I don't do what I did in the early days today because it's not scalable to the to the scale we're at now. Um, but in the early days, when you're just starting things up, you have to oftentimes do those things that are super laborious, take a lot of time, seem really inefficient. Um, but I enjoyed doing it. It was, it was fun to connect with all those people, uh, especially in the early days when they were using something that we built. I mean, it, did it help you, uh, define in your own mind what, what the community was going to be? Yeah. I mean, it, the, the general theme was we knew we wanted this to be a place about new products. And so the people that, that kind of were naturally attracted to it were people who were in technology or eager to share and explore new technology. And so by creating sort of that foundation, it eventually just created its own culture in some, some respect. Um, and not only the product things that I mentioned, like using identity and things like that were important, but the people that, that start off in the community, they're, they're oftentimes the one that set the, set the, the, the course for the culture long-term. Um, our culture will be hard to change. Um, if you look at any other massively massive platform as well, whether it's Reddit or 4chan or uh, Hacker News or all these other places on the internet, they also have cultures that are are largely set and hard to dramatically change. You don't feel like Hacker News is... Uh, Hacker News is, is just one out of the group that you mentioned that I'm familiar with. You don't feel like that, that culture's changed? Uh, well... I stopped visiting. I don't normally visit Hacker News, yeah. um, so yeah. I can't say for sure how it has or hasn't changed. Um, but from my perspective, when I do occasionally, like infrequently visit, um, it feels very consistent uh, for me. I don't know. Have you seen? Have you seen otherwise, or do you visit very often? I don't. I don't visit very often anymore. I mean, I have I have Hacker News to thank for the fact that I, you know, got a book deal. Um, and I, you know, these days I don't think that I can even write content that that community would be interested in. There, it's it's seems to have uh, steered more toward the tech, toward technical things. And I think that there's been like some some uh, 
erosion of the verticals or, or people picked away at the verticals or, you know, product hunt being one of, one of those, like if you want to find about products, it's not necessarily show HN or something just shows up on the hacker news page. There's a place for it. There's product hunt. Um, and I've also, I also feel like I see more trolls there than I yeah, it used to be one of these places that was, was very like, product hunt is now where people are very civil if there's a disagreement they're able to like work it out and 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 um remain civil i guess i don't have a better word than that um but i don't think that it's as as closely curated as something like product hunt is yeah yeah i guess i should maybe qualify my my statement slightly in that it doesn't mean that things can't change per se. Um, but the tone that's said, I think in the beginning of, of a community, um, really stands a lot. It, 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 it influences the, the long-term direction dramatically. So what, uh, what qualities inherent to you do you think made this like the, the right company for you to be able to build? Yeah. So I've, I've said this, before, but in some ways, for better or worse, uh, product hunt is, is many things like a manifestation of all the things I love and like, in that I love playing with new products and apps and services. Um, and tangentially, I used to browse AngelList actually uh, for companies and products. Uh, AngelList was never built for product discovery as like a consumer, um, but I would just browse their site looking for cool stuff. Um, so I've kind of always done that. I've always been like hunting for cool things and just out of curiosity uh, in many ways. Uh, I also love writing and, and kind of um, understanding products a little bit more and having this opportunity to talk to the makers and playing with all these things is right in line with things I love to do. Um, and then lastly, I, I love, um, I'm glad that we're able to give an opportunity to connect people in different ways. And many ways we're connecting people through uh, their love of products or, or different verticals and passions and, and we see people connect through Product Hunt and, um, and makers connect with other potential hires. Like, there's just a lot of serendipitous, uh, serendipity that comes with building communities. And, and I've always appreciated that, both online and offline myself. So besides the, uh, the, the email digest that you set up and the brunches that you were doing, like if you go further back in your life, are there like little things or clues that you can look back on and say, oh, well, it, it makes sense that I would build Product Hunt. Yeah. Yeah. I think part of it is uh, curiosity is a, a trait that I admire and it's something that we hire for. Those that are curious are, uh, you know, usually very open-minded and, and willing to experiment. They're also would gravitate more towards discovering new products every day. Like that's just like a, a part of our culture at Product Hunt and on the team itself. And so, me, even as a kid, I've, I've always been curious, especially with technology. And, you know, I built my first website um, back when I was, I think, 14. And, and that was inspired by a friend who ended up building a website and making $100,000. I was like, I can do that too. Um, and I don't know how to build a website, but I'm going to grab like a, this uh, HTML book and the CSS book and try and figure it out. Um, so I've done stuff like that. I, uh, you know, hacked my Xbox when I was a kid too. And that was partly motivated because I frankly didn't want to 
pay 60 bucks for video games because it was really expensive <laughs> at my age. Um, but I was also like curious to like play with, like learn how to solder a mod chip into my Xbox. Um, side note, I ended up breaking an Xbox, which was very costly uh, doing so. Um, <laughs> Soldering is not as easy as it looks sometimes in YouTube videos. Um, let's see. Uh, you know, and my dad and, and parents have been super supportive in like entrepreneurial efforts and, and things like that as a kid. So, um, yeah, I guess I, I was uh, doing a lot of things like that, I think, which led to, you know, tinkering, which probably was me just tinkering and experimenting ultimately. I'm curious, what was your first website? So it's, uh, I w- it's probably in the Wayback Time Machine. Um, it was called OperationLaugh.com. And it was a really hideous, ugly website. But the idea was I wanted to, to create a site where different jokes, comics, like funny things on the internet could live. And I thought I could make money uh, through like banner advertisements and stuff. Um, I ended up making about $70 and my hosting and everything cost about $60. So I was profitable technically. Um, but I also spent dozens and dozens of hours. So like maybe I made 10 cents per hour at the end of the day. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, what, do you remember what year that was? That would have been, when was that? That was early 2000s. So maybe like 2002, 2003, I want to say. And only dozens of hours. Yeah, dozens. But I learned like the value that I got, of course, was not the $10 in profit, but it was the experience. Um, one, learning. It's actually really hard to make money um, online sometimes. Uh, and two, um, just how like technology works. Like I learned just basic HTML, CSS, um, and things like that, which are super important. We're going to take a quick break. I love ordering stuff from Amazon. In the realm of the obvious, I also enjoy eating, sleeping, and breathing. And you probably like Amazon too. That's why I want to give you a $20 Amazon gift card. Sounds good, right? Here's how to get it. Go to cadavy.net slash survey and take the Love Your Work listener survey. The survey is just a few simple questions. It will take you less than two minutes. It's like less time than I spend each day just waiting for Facebook to load in my browser. I'm giving away a $20 Amazon gift card every week until April 7th. When you take the listener survey, you're entered to win a gift card. In fact, you should go to cadavy.net slash survey right now and take the quick survey. Why? Because the sooner you take the survey, the more chances you get to win a $20 Amazon gift card. Go to cadavy.net slash survey. That's cadavy.net slash survey. Were there any beliefs that you had early on in Product Hunt about building what it was that that you look back on now and you think, oh, that, that those were some false beliefs? Hmm, that's a that's an interesting question. Um, let's see. I think you always have. Uh, in hindsight, there are always mistakes. Like no one. I don't think anyone that built a company said they like hit a home run on every single swing. So there's certainly like product decisions that we could have done differently in hindsight. Um, there, there are probably organizational things that we could have done better, like setting up better processes for the team to move faster. Um, like for myself, I'm increasingly getting better at letting, letting people run as long as 
what I mean by that is it's really easy as you, when you build something for yourself and when you build something when it's just you and maybe one other person to do everything. Cause you, in the beginning I'm emailing people, I'm doing product and wireframes, um, market, like all the things <laughs> are required. And then when you start bringing more people on, you have to trust them and let them run with the tasks that you hired them for. And so if, if it's, uh, you know, doing, um, let's say design, like you got to give them room to do design full, to the fullest extent. And um, things like that, where it's really easy, I think, for early stage companies, founders to, to keep holding on to these tasks and these things that they uh, have been doing and that they feel they're good at. Because at the end of the day, you should be hiring people who are way better at all these things than you anyway. So how did you learn how to do that? Did you just say, oh, I should, uh, you know, I should delegate things and then that was it and it wasn't a struggle? You know, it's been a constant evolution, I guess, or a constant um, change of, of behavior in some ways. Part of it is Part of it is just like force, it's forced on you because you can't, you like physically can't do everything. <laughs> so you have to, to let people run with things. And then another part is just being more mature about it and being smarter about it, realizing that um, one, my time and my energy is not going to scale. Two, I don't have the best ideas either. Uh, and just being willing to trust people uh, to, to make mistakes too, because that will happen. I make mistakes. <laughs> uh, so will my teammates. Um, that's just the natural, like, that's just natural fact of startups. How old are you? 30. Just turned 30. 30. Okay. I thought you were like 22 or something. I, was just uh, I know. I get that. I get that a lot. I think part of it's, it might be, I don't know if it's, uh, might be part of my profile picture. My profile pictures was taken in 2000 and like, I don't know, 2010, I want to say. So it's quite old. We were just talking about how you never change it because that's, you know, when you change your, your avatar, then it, it throws people for a loop. Yeah. People have to, they have to re-remember who's this face. And, you know, if you, uh, I wrote a post about this a while ago, there's certain people online too, that never change their profile. Like, uh, Fred Wilson's one. I mean, he does have like an illustrated profile painting, picture. So it doesn't matter. It doesn't, doesn't look, Oh, it looks so young in that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But, but there's certainly like, he's, uh, I mean, he's well known for other reasons in his profile picture, but, um, there's advantages to having the same profile picture because over the years when your, your face is seen more and more and more, people will recognize that far more than if your profile picture is changing. And so it can frankly be helpful if you're trying to reach people or, um, I, I think it's, I think it's a, a wise strategy for anyone that's building a company or, or trying to build a brand of some sort. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned earlier the, the word mature, and that's like, I think it's a, a, one of the good words I would use to describe uh, you, at least from my observe, from observing, is that you seem really intelligent and, and, and well, um, well-rounded and mature and, and deliberate, and you don't seem like, like there's much struggle there, you know? And I don't know, I think that I feel like it, you make it look really easy. And, um, and I don't know if that's an illusion or if that's how it actually is. <laughs> well, I, I, I was talking to some, uh, I did some office hours over the holiday break with, uh, about a dozen people in one day. And, um, we talked a little bit about similar topic here. And one of the things that like when I, I was in school, I hated public speaking, um, made, made me super nervous. I never felt confident, um, 
And then when product hunt started and I started having to do more talks or pitch investors, uh, like go to demo day and YC, all those things, it all felt so easy for me where traditionally public speaking was so difficult. And the reason I realized is that it's so much easier to talk about things you're passionate about and things you know, uh, versus doing a, a public speech around some book report where you're like, I could give a crap, like, I don't care about this topic at all, nor do I feel super qualified to talk about it. So I think for those that have a fear of public speaking or even doing podcasts or whatnot, um, I think part of it is just finding like you, where you fit and, and talking about the things that you're passionate about is, is, is what I found easiest. Well, I feel like there's another element that people struggle with, and I don't know whether you've struggled with it before or not, but I think a lot of people, if they were to build something, it would, it would, it would, it would be theirs, you know, and, and there would be this ego thing wrapping it up and preventing them from allowing others to help make it progress. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, did you ever have any of that? Uh, it kind of goes back a little bit to what I was saying in the sense that you, for you to, to scale, assuming that you need to hire people, not every company needs to need more people. Maybe it's just a project on your own or a few people, but if you're scaling and you're growing, you need to bring more people on board and you just have to trust them. And uh, the, the two key things in that though, is one, you get the right people, which can be very difficult, um, especially if you haven't worked with them before. And two, you make sure you're aligned so that if you're giving people space to run, you're both aligned in where you're going. Um, because you, if you're not aligned, then someone might build something totally outside the vision, totally outside of kind of the scope of what you're doing. And then you're going to be frustrated and you're going to say, I'm never going to let them do that again. And then you're going to try and do their job. So those are, uh, communication is actually, um, communication startup is probably one of the most important things. And uh, I'm not an expert at that by far, but um, communication among, between teammates, um, uh, structurally, like where we're going, all that's super important. Did you have anybody guiding you on any of this stuff as it was happening? These things that you had never done before involved in scaling up a company and getting investment and hiring all these people and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, a lot of it, it's, it's like a lot of things you learn on the job, but when you can, you, you talk to people who have experience. And, um, so there, I have a number of, uh, people that have been super supportive. So, I mean, I can go down a few people, like uh, a few instances in the early, early days. Um, I'd gotten to know Josh Elman at Greylock uh, prior to Product Hunt, maybe a year or two before. And um, as we were working on this thing, I need a lawyer. I'm like, I need a lawyer. Who do I talk to? I asked Josh. Josh connected me with another guy named Josh, Josh Cook at Gunderson. And then Josh has, has been our lawyer since and been super fantastic and helpful in figuring out incorporation, um, like all the legal things, which uh, of course is, is a very important part of building a company. Um, and then there's other people like Steven Snosky, who is on our, on our board, um, from Andreessen Horowitz. He's been super helpful in a number of different areas. Um, but there's, there's even like, I remember early on, there was the first time I had to, to fire someone. Uh, of course I called him and I'm like, Steven, here's what's going on. Uh, how should I approach this? Like, here's the context, here's the story. Um, it's also a really scary thing. It's the worst part of being a CEO is when you have to do that. Um, but then there's also like the legal implications and the things like that that you have to think through. So, um, thankfully I've just been around uh, a lot of people who have experience in different areas that can be helpful. 
Well, I mean, when you talk about going to talk to a, a lawyer, I feel like early on uh, in my entrepreneurial uh, entrepreneurial attempts, I hardly even thought of the things I was doing uh, at, as a company because I hadn't like been taught that. I would like do a project and be like, "Oh, it's, people will be like, oh, how's your company?" I'm like, well, what are you talking about? I've just so it was just a website I made for a co- company. What do you mean? Um, I mean, was that? You were you were saying that your parents were supportive in entrepreneurial stuff. Were, were you practicing with that sort of thing when you were younger? With building companies? Yeah, I never never built a company in the the like uh, official sense, um, but always experimented with different things. My my parents they early on in the the late nineties they owned a video game store, and um and I would work there at the store when I was I don't know. 14, 13, um, like cleaning the, the counters and, and talking to customers and stuff. But then I also would like run the gumball machines, uh, early on too, where I would refill it, restock it, like record, uh, expenses and profits and, and all of those pretty simple things, but like things that go into kind of like running an operation. Um, and I think some of those things instilled some, some perspective and, and also encouraged me that, Oh, I can, I can do this and turn this into money. And I think what I found most interesting about entrepreneurship is being able to make money um, and build something that people use, um, but also being being paid, but not by the hour, by but by the output. If that makes sense, in this in the sense that I never really liked like an hourly wage because I was like, all right, I gotta do this for an hour and I get ten bucks. Doesn't matter how well I do this, I just gotta do it. <laughs> and while I would try and do a good job. I was like never motivated because I'm like, I want to, how do I make 20 bucks in an hour? Well, I can't in this, this position, but in entrepreneurship, you can invest, you know, X amount of time and, and infinite amount of money technically in terms of, of what you can, uh, the impact you can make. And, and money of course is not the motivation for me per se, but money is, um, money in some ways is like a measurement of impact or value to create in some capacity. Now, when you talk about, uh, starting product hunt, it seemed like it was a, a sort of, uh, you know, why not decision when you went from the email list to building this site, was there any point along the way when there, there was a difficult decision, um, based around, you know, do we scale this up? Do we abandon what other things we're doing with our lives? Things like that. Yeah, I, I guess I was, I was in a very fortunate position when product had started in that I was in between, I was transitioning out of a previous startup and I was given the opportunity to work part-time instead of just leaving entirely. I, I worked 20 hours a week or so and uh, my salary was cut dramatically, but it was at least enough to keep me alive in San Francisco. And that gave me enough time to, to work on a lot of, a lot of things and, and experiment. And so uh, that was, that was an important part of, I think, my ability to actually try these things. Um, but then, yeah, fast forwarding through product. And I think there's, there's a number of things, um, challenges and, and big milestones. It's like, do we raise money or not? That, that was a, a crossroads. Um, do we, uh, you know, do we raise an A? Do we not? Do we hire this person? Do we not? Uh, there's an infinite number of kind of like crossroads that you take and you always question like, what if I took the other road? What would have happened? Um, you never, like, you never really know. Um, but, uh, you know, I'm happy with where we're at and where we built today. So when you had those difficult decisions, you kind of already had a network 
uh, people with experience in these various things that, that you could talk to and you could ask for advice? Yeah, thankfully, I, I had a, built some, some relationships with people in startups and tech from founders to investors to reporters and so on um, before product tent. And so that was super important and helpful as I, you know, because then when I talked to, to investors, when we actually were raising money, they already knew me. And for a lot of investors, when they can connect the dots and see progression, it's a lot easier to make an investment decision than when they're taking a first time meeting, just meeting you for the, that, that one moment. Um, when I reach out to reporters, I had already knew them. I already had a relationship with them. And so it wasn't just some random cold email, you know, pitching them to write about product hunt, but this was a person that they knew and, and had some familiarity with. Um, so those are the types of things that paid off in the long run. Like I, I wasn't building those relationships with an intent to like turn it into a like selfish value for myself, but it just ultimately turned out that way. Um, the bigger your network is and, uh, the, the more serendipity and more opportunities you have in many ways. Uh, it just doesn't pay off until who knows when. Like the connections I make today, who knows what might happen in a decade um, with those people I meet and relationships I build. So those connections were kind of built based strictly off of your own curiosity for those people? Oftentimes, yeah. It was curiosity of like being on Twitter a lot and, and reading blog posts and sharing and talking with people online. Uh, Twitter has been a fantastic channel and platform to connect with different people, partly because it's, it's so lightweight and, you know, people in, in technology are very accessible on, on Twitter. Um, and then it's also writing. I, I used to write a bit more as well. And, uh, it helped me, I think, become a better writer, but also, um, build some more touch points and relationships with people. Um, as they started reading more of my stuff, they started realizing, oh, he's, he's got some interesting things to say about tech or products. That's, um, it, in some ways it was like me trying to create some sort of value or artifact, um, for this community of, of people in tech. Yeah. So it was very curiosity driven. Were there ever times when, um, you maybe felt a little tempted to, or you found yourself straying from that and doing a little bit of networking where you realize like, I'm kind of just not being myself here. I'm really, I, I feel like I'm doing this to be gainful. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, I don't know, actually. I'm trying to remember a time where I didn't feel like I was being authentic. And um, I don't know. I, I always feel like I've been authentic, even when I'm clearly meeting people for a transactional reason. Like if I'm meeting an investor to pitch them or if I'm, you know, meeting someone to hire them, the, the intent is to, to close that transaction. Um, but I don't approach the, even those conversations with like... Um, I think people smell through inauthenticity and, uh, and at the end of the day, I, I don't want to lie or be deceptive to people. So, um, I don't think I've ever been inauthentic in, in my interactions. And if I have, I, I regret it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I know it makes total logical sense, but this is what I'm, I'm just trying to like, you're just, you, it seems like you just do the perfect thing all the time, <laughs> you know, and that, and that you, you're able to operate and make the, the right decisions all the time. And I I guess I'm trying to think about, I feel like there's a blind spot here somewhere about, um, you know, what would most people have done in some of the situations that you were in that would have caused it to not go well? Now, I know that you probably wouldn't even speculate about that because that, because, because you're just like a, a cheery 
positive guy and you, it probably would even uh, occur to you uh, what other people, what mistakes other people might make in those situations or my, or do you have ideas about mistakes, other people that you might've been able to make th- that might've made this not happen? Yeah. I mean, I think there's a number of things that um, could have gone, there's a billion different things that could have gone wrong. And, um, and uh, I'm talking about things that you couldn't, that you would have control over that could have gone wrong. Oh, yeah. I mean, I mean, there's there's everything from not treating your your teammates fairly, or or if I was if I was as I was in the very beginning and being a little bit too controlling, maybe of of all the things and not letting people um, have more autonomy. Like people would leave. People don't like to work in those environments. At least most of the best talent. So I think there's there's lessons like that that I think people can take with them is, is hire the right people and give them clear direction. Um, be collaborative, but like let them do their thing too. Um, there's, there's also things in the fundraising side, like there's more specifically like tactical things that you can really mess up. And most people never raise money. The people that have probably do it once in their lifetime. So, uh, it's actually a really, um, important step in a company company's process and important for people to like talk to mentors or, or people that have gone through it too. I talked to a number of people, not just, not just Josh Elman, who I mentioned earlier, but a number of former founders and others, uh, as I was going through that process for the first time. Um, so maybe part of the lesson is like being okay with asking people for help, uh, is, is an important piece. I mean, I think that, I think that a lot of people struggle with that, this is where I, I feel like there might be some blind spots in a lot of places because you're just so perfect, Ryan Hoover. That, yeah. <laughs> that, <Not even> close. <laughs> that, uh, that I think that for some people, it's difficult to even recognize that you, that you need help, that, 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 that you, that you could ask somebody about this thing that you're struggling with. Yeah. Um, did you ever struggle with recognizing that you needed help? Yeah. There's like, you, you know, what you don't know, and then you don't know, what you don't know. And those are the one, those are the areas that is, uh, the most dangerous, um, because sometimes you don't know how you could be doing things better or you don't know you're doing a bad job in a certain area. Um, so that's where talking to people, people who have gone through similar situations or mentors can be so, so helpful because they can be, especially the good ones can be really upfront and brutally honest with you and saying, have you thought about this or why are you doing this? Um, that's actually one of the reasons why like boards exist actually like startup boards on, on startups and companies is to ensure that, uh, you know, the founder and the CEO is, uh, is, or is doing the right things and not missing pitfalls that other companies go through. That could be everything from like legal issues to product direction to process stuff. Um, a lot of people like to talk down on boards and, and having a board does instrument more process and things, but it can also be incredibly helpful because it keeps you in check. Mm-hmm. And we're right at our scheduled end time. Are, are you pressed for time right now? Um, I, I can do like 10 more minutes if that's... Okay, just a few more yeah. minutes. Um, will you talk about, is there any like one specific story or one specific time when you needed help and it maybe it didn't occur to you at first to ask for it or... And who did you talk to and, and, and how'd that conversation go? Yeah. Um, let's see. Um, I mean, there's a number of areas where 
mentioned uh, needing legal help. Uh, that's kind of a more of an obvious one because I'm clearly not a lawyer, and uh, and that's that's one. It's in the the realm of you know what you don't know. Um, and then there are moments where uh, Stephen has uh, Stephen Sanofsky has been helpful in just bringing up things and suggesting. Um, you know, early on, we, we talked about some, uh, is really more of a leadership process, uh, discussion around how do we structure what we're working on and ensuring that everyone is, is moving in the right direction and lead less by like task assignment and like project assignment, but more of like mission-based, uh, initiatives. Um, so there's things like that, that have been in some ways like proactive because he was on the board that I may not have like sought out, um, but if I knew that I, it's something that we should do and knew that that was something I was missing, it, it would have been something I would ask for. So is there any final message that you uh, would summarize today's uh, conversation with? Yeah, so I, let's see, I, I think, well, one, one thing that I, is probably obvious um, for people that know me is that I, I encourage people to tinker. I encourage curiosity and experimentation. Um, I love seeing people build side projects and launch them on product hunt. I love seeing that partly because it's, you know, one thing that I, I find frustrating in the startup ecosystem is that there is this negativity and, um, this judgment sometimes around people building things saying, why are you building this? Does the world need another Yo. gift app? Yeah. Yeah. Or just Which is like, brilliant. I love you. Brilliant. Um, but there's so much criticism around just building things. And I, I question like, why is that? First off, not everything, not every technology product is a company. And I see technology increasingly more like, like uh, a lot of other art forms like music or, you know, art and painting, whatever. Uh, you know, when kids today build a mobile app or Chrome extension or a website, it's, it's in many ways a creative expression. It's them tinkering and playing and learning and then sharing it with the world. The same as someone who's, you know, learning to play the guitars or drum or whatnot. And yet we don't really criticize the kid playing the, the drums or learning to play the guitar. Like his song might be awful, but <laughs> we don't really criticize him because we're like, Hey, he's, he's learning. Um, so Teal Deer is, I, I think we should embrace more creation. I think we should be less judgmental about people's products and the things they're building because at the end of the day, what they're doing is learning and playing with new ideas. And, you know, that same kid that's learning might also then become the next Zuckerberg or whoever um, and build something that actually is a company and actually is super meaningful. Um, I think so that's, that's a really interesting observation. It kind of reminds me of like when I was first playing around with the Internet and there was no like there wasn't much business really happening. It was really all just people playing around and making a, a thing and you know every once in a while somebody gets lucky and it becomes a company but for the most part they're playing around and solving technology problems and it seems like as 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 much as it as it's become more of a viable way to make money or to, to build businesses that then possibly creates this uh atmosphere of judgment over just playing and doing a thing just because you want to and by the way people who've built things have done a bunch of hacking with things like they've hacked their, their Xbox and broken it a few times, or, you know, they've, they've done some freaking of, of phones or whatever it was that, uh, was and, and jobs <laughs> were doing, 
you know, you're, you're doing these projects or little pranks and stuff. And, and then that builds the skills to actually build things like product hunt. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And product hunt was, was an experiment. It was, uh, I didn't go out saying this is going to be my company. Um, I didn't create business cards. I didn't do all that stuff. It was just, I want to find cool new products and share them with friends. <laughs> that was it. It's nice. Okay. So where can people find you? Obviously you can go to producthunt.com. And I also, else? yeah, I'm on Twitter, RR Hoover. I, uh, Instagram, RR Hoover, Snapchat, RR Hoover. Uh, where else am I? Um, uh, Facebook, uh, is actually not RR Hoover. It's slash Ryan Hoover and, um, an angelist, of course, which by the way, if you didn't know angelist, if you go to, uh, the peace sign emoji.com slash Ryan dash Hoover, I think that's my URL. So check so it out. There's an emoji in your URL? There, yeah, the angel list, it, it's uh, in mass. It uses the, the peace sign emoji. So you just replace any, any uh, URL string with, with the uh, peacesign.com and it'll take you there. Wow. Well, there you go. Peacesign.com. Peacesign. <laughs> Whatever you said it was. Translate over a podcast, I guess. If <laughs> just, the just one with the search. finger sticking out. Yeah, that, that emoji. Yeah. The victory hand. Yes. Yes, okay. that's right. <laughs> right. Ryan, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today. You bet. Thanks, David. It's fun. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Product Hunt's Ryan Hoover. Ryan's story of building a community around what interests him reminds me of the story of Saya Hillman, who you can hear on episode four. Saya wanted to wear sweatpants and play board games, so she built a business and a community that let her do just that. And if you appreciate all the work that goes into making this show, there are a couple of ways you can help support it. One is to subscribe, 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 subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Just hit the subscribe button. Another is to rate the show on iTunes. Just go to cadavy.net slash iTunes and click on write a review and click on the star rating. You don't even have to write a review. It just takes a couple of seconds. And do you like books? If you do, I'd love to send you my book recommendations. About 90% of them will be nonfiction on subjects spanning from biographies to neuroscience. Just go to cadavy.net slash reading, sign up, and you'll get my first set of recommendations right away. You'll be supporting the show if you buy any of those books through the links in the email. This has been Love Your Work, and I'm David Cadavy. The theme music for the show is More Streets, performed by Spider Flower. Love Your Work is a production of Cadavy, Inc. <laughs>